When I was in the process of paying off my debt, and this is, if you haven't listened to episode one yet, go back and listen to that again, because that'll talk to you about kind of the, some of the process that I went through. Um, but it was really, it was a harrowing thing. And when I was in the middle of all of that, one of the things that I was looking for was somebody within the helping fields, some other therapist or a clinician or, or someone else that was directly in the space that I was in that could talk to me about finance and money in a way that wasn't just completely, you know, like we should we should be giving of ourselves and we should be discounting, you know, certain rates and all, and, and all of, listen, I believe in all of those things. I think all of those things are important. But what I what I was looking for was for someone to help reinforce what I felt like my worth was and to help me get into a headspace where I could think about charging something for the work that I was doing that was going to give me enough leverage essentially to, to get out of student loan debt and to um, get into a space where I could pull my life together, my financial life together. And Tiffany McLean, today's guest, was the only person <laughs> that I was able to locate who did this. She gives some more names of people we should be following. Um, but Tiffany was the person that I found in her podcast, The Money Sessions, where I could listen to other people doing the same kind of work that I was doing that were making money, right? Making bank on what they were doing while still feeling like they were making a significant contribution. And that's what I was really looking for. And Tiffany is able to frame this in a way that makes sense, that is unapologetic um, and practical, so that the those of us in the field that have bills to pay, which is, let's face it, all of us, that that we can can really wrap our minds around what our worth is and what we want and need to be charging, um, not from a space of shame, but from a space of centeredness and um, and a realistic account of what our what our lives are. So I'm not. I mean, I could I could seriously talk about this guest all day. Tiffany is. I I just think her work is incredible. But I will let you hear for yourself. So here is Tiffany McLean. Okay, so this week I have Tiffany McLean. So Tiffany, hi, thank you for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to talk to you. I just got to talk to Tiffany um, for the first time a couple weeks ago, and I've been following your work, like I said, for a few years. And since you're one of very few voices that are addressing money within the helping spaces, um, I think it's just so important to, to get to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love talking about this stuff. So I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah. And I also love talking about this stuff. So we can just <laughs> geek out about that together. 
Um, so just so people can kind of get to know you and what you do, who are you as a helping professional? Um, so what does your work in the helping professions look like? Yeah, absolutely. I am a therapist in private practice and I have a program where I work with, as you alluded to, therapists Mm -hmm. around money. (laughs) And I will say my strength is helping people go from being controlled by unconscious forces to becoming aware of what lies beneath, like what's actually happening in their unconscious so that they can move from living unconsciously and acting out of who knows what to being able to live consciously in their life so they can actually make choices that benefit them. And I always work with, in my practice, in my uh, therapist coaching community, always women, always minorities, always folks who come from working class backgrounds. That is where I always end up, um, those are the people I always end up working with. Yes. And so has that been very intentional for you in terms of the people that you select that you work with? Because I know with the money thing, it's so interesting that you just niched right into you're working with therapists around this. You know, that's unique. Um, But has that all been intentional for you, the people that you choose? I'll say both. Uh, You know, we Mm -hmm. always work with people who reflect in some way our own journey. So I think (laughs) um, in my actually, yeah, I I think I um, I am both very intentional about putting that out there and it's because those are the people I love working with and those are the people with whom myself and my team have the best success. So it kind of is mutual. It's become a mutual process. Yeah. Yeah. And so have you always done this? What's, what's your history in, in helping? Have you always had your own practice or what does this look like? Sure. I, I mean, we're going to go way back, Dana. Go, go back. Go all the way back. <laughs> I, 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 I like to imagine I'm special or unique, but I'm actually not at all. I found an article. Uh, I talk about it a lot because it really was um, uh, surprising to me, but also not. There's a, a woman, her name is Ella Lasky. And in the 80s, she wrote an article about therapists specifically. And she found that therapists were more likely than people in any other profession to have identified as a helper in their family. They have the role of being the helper. And so a lot of people who become therapists were the person who mediated conflict in their family of origin, who made sure other people were taken care of and put their needs aside in order to do so. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely, that was definitely my experience from a young age where I learned that my value, fortunately, you know, for better or worse, my value came from making sure other people were seen and heard and that their emotional experiences were acknowledged. Uh, and that kind of, as I grew, came up as a little one, my identity got tied up with that helper role. Yeah. Yep. Tot- I totally relate to that. Yes, <laughs> Welcome. Sure. Here we are. Yes, Here we yes. are sharing this space. Absolutely. So you, just from a very young age, you identified as a helper. You were a helper within your family space. Yes. Socially, were you kind of a helper as well when you were younger? Certainly. I, you know, with friends being the one. I was Okay, well, actually, now that you're making me reflect on it, I was a problem causer. Certainly, <laughs> I stirred up, I don't know if I can stir up stuff. I'm not going to swear on your, sh- on your show. And you're welcome um, to, actually. I stirred up shit, Dana. <laughs> uh, and I got in trouble for it. But I think one of the things I was doing even then was highlighting the things that felt wrong. Hey, yes. this is not okay. These people are out of, it. for me personally, the value of integrity is very important. So when I felt like something is out of integrity here, mm. I would uh, somehow speak to that, whether it was saying, hey, this is out of integrity, which was not, by the way, how I spoke to it. <laughs> but really, like, uh, being a problem causer, that was in more in elementary school, but I quickly got the message, look, um, if you're going to be able to be in society 
and engage with folks, you better put that away. And so I really moved into being so quote unquote good. Uh, all the people in church were like, Tiffany, so wow, what a model citizen. So really started being like, okay, I got to keep my mouth shut. Uh, let other people speak you know, mm. if, if, if I'm going to be valued in the world. So it's interesting to see, you know, I think in adolescence, that's what happens to a lot of young girls, girls. And that certainly happened to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I know you said that's not, we like to think we're unique, but that's maybe not such a unique story, but I'm just sitting here like, okay, so you're like my spirit animal. Absolutely. I don't know if you've ever heard me being a guest on other people's podcasts, but I turn it around sometimes. So I'm curious when you're hearing me talk about it, how did you notice that showing up for you? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, just the story that you're telling is my story too, right? Same yeah. thing of growing up as a, as a young person and holding, uh, holding the emotional bandwidth of the people around me in order to kind of let things stay level, right? Yeah. And then exactly the same thing, like sort of becoming a helpful Mm. agitator or provocateur and pointing out all the things. I love your use of the word integrity. I use that word all the time, but wow. um, just the things that you feel aren't quite right, right? That aren't quite fitting and, and not quite lacking, uh, lacking integrity and, and putting your finger on that and then moving into the space of just, okay, if I can't make these things different, I'm just going to be exceedingly helpful. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so wow. all so of those, yeah, all those pieces. And I'm, I'm sure there are other people, tons of other helpers that are like, yeah, and me too, right? Because yes. we, don't, uh, we don't end up doing this by accident. But yeah, that, that story really resonates. And I think hearing you tell it, um, and being familiar with, with your work and like your videos and everything, all of that just comes right out in terms of, of how you, all those components of how you present, right. That kind of agitating piece and that super helpful, super empathetic yeah. <laughs> piece, all those, all those things. Yes. I'm really working on undoing the, um, putting myself aside in order to make sure other people's needs are taken care of. And yes. it, it takes a lot of, it's an intentional practice to be mm -hmm. able to undo not only for my family, of course, but you know, a woman. And yes. then we had a woman of color, you know, being in the society, mm. uh, it takes a lot of undoing. Yes, it does. And it's so intentional. You're right. It needs yeah. to, I mean, that's its own show. I could talk, right. <laughs> talk to you about that in a whole other episode, but absolutely. So you are, you know, kind of a, a younger person and, and developing as you do. And now you're sort of this, you've learned how to be helpful as a means of kind of um, being seen as valuable, right? Yeah. So yeah. then were you just kind of like, okay, the, I'm going to put myself right in the space of doing this all the time and, and go into being a therapist? Or how did you decide, how did you decide to start moving into the helping fields? Yeah, it was always, I was always, as you point out, helping in some way. So whether I was mm -hmm. uh, in high school, I worked with, the, I was a special Olympics coach. Mm. I was a tutor and mentor. I worked at a camp with foster kids, like always finding myself in some way or another. And at that time it was kids, always finding some way to work with kids. Yes. And it wasn't until my late twenties that I uh, thought, oh, I could become a therapist. I, 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 I think I went to a therapist uh, who was helpful to me, as the story often goes. Yep. And but still, it took a couple of years. I think my brother said, "Tiffany, you know, stop messing around. Go, just go to grad school." <laughs> and I think in that <laughs> moment, I'm like, "Oh, grad school? That's something that people do." 
And I knew from the moment I went to grad school that I wanted a private practice on the other side. Mm. I wanted my own business. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make my own money. I'd never wanted to work for anyone else. And I also knew in the interview for grad school that I couldn't say that part, that that part is not the part you're supposed to say at the interview. So even then, when I think back, I'm like, wow, how did I know before I knew anything about the therapist professional culture that I'm not supposed to talk about making money? But I knew even then, don't say that part. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because it feels um, uh, counterintuitive to, to all the um, ethics and the, and the structures that are put out that are like, this is who you're supposed to be. Right. It's like, um, yeah, it it feels like it doesn't quite fit in. I love that you knew that right when you were going to grad school, you were, you were years ahead of me. (laughs) But you know what I mean? But it wasn't like, it wasn't like I knew it wasn't like I thought, okay, I'm going to sneak in and and not say that part. It's more like, (laughs) oh, I know I'm not allowed to say that. And once I got into grad school and for some years I was also indoctrinated. Like I actually took on the same guilt and anxiety about money. Like that was a huge anxiety for me. So it wasn't like I was a secret infiltrator just waiting to get to the other side and burst forth. It it, it really like I lost my own mind again around what I wanted for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So they still got you. Uh, Yes, they got me. (laughs) I said that um, I had an episode I recorded a little while ago where I said, you know, it starts as early as, um, the education that we step into when we walk into these programs undergrad, right? You have yeah, professors yes. telling you, Hey, if you want to, if you want to make money, if you want to be able to rest, if you want to not be emotionally depleted, this is not the space for you. Wow. I mean, the indoctrination starts right away. I think it for is, us. it is, uh, it's shocking. And something that, uh, speaking of undoing, it's a message mm-hmm. I'm trying to change and shift. That is what I'm all about. Mm. I know. I love it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> but so let's, let's talk about your personal journey with money, right? So like you said, you've, you've got Lean and Make Bank. You help other therapists work out their issues with money so that they can make more and they can thrive. So what did your own journey with money and your money mindset, what did that look like? Really interesting. Um, uh, it's something I'm constantly working on. So it's far from being done. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'll say uh, in terms of grad school or in terms of being a therapist, I noticed after. So when I was in grad school, I went after that to a two year. Um, it was actually a postdoc program, but they took a couple of master's level interns and it was a psychoanalytic psychology program so a two-year psychoanalytic Mm. training program and in there they had uh, the director wanted us to address fees with our clients every six months and nobody was doing it (laughs) everybody was anxious and he would come he would say a couple of times like remember to talk about fees and no one would and I thought wow that's interesting and back to knowing I want to be in my own private practice at the end of this that was still in my mind I thought okay if I'm going to have a private practice where I'm actually making any money, I need to get confident and comfortable with talking about money. So I actually made it a practice. I used that time to actually talk with my clients about their fees every six months and to bring it up in supervision. And as I was doing that, I noticed, oh, nobody else, nobody else is doing this and nobody's (laughs) talking about it. And nowhere is it in grad school or in this program, it's nowhere. That's right. So that's where I started becoming very clear that this is something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. 
Yeah, wow, that's so cool. So you actually had the what was the kind of push behind that from the director to discuss the fees every six months? It was just this is an important part of the work and we need to to figure it out or I suspect that they needed us to do it because they were not making enough money. It was, the, <laughs> it was a nonprofit intern program. Uh, we had great teachers, analysts come in. They also had, they worked in a school and they also worked in a senior center. So really doing amazing work. And, you know, they would have a, a, a sliding fee range. And so the lowest fee on there was $30. And I'm sure a lot of therapists didn't even really look at what their clients could pay. And were like, okay, $30, how's that work? And yeah. so they needed us to address money so that the institute could keep going. Uh, and I think I took it as an opportunity to, um, you know, I realized right then, oh, this is not straightforward. This is not like, oh, just raise your fee. My own internal stuff was so present and mm. my anxieties were so present that I'm like, this is a clinical issue. Yes. Uh, we can start taking it up in, in, a, in the realm of the unconscious. Yes. Yes. Okay. So tell me about your work around that, right? Because you've got that coming up. You must have been, I mean, you're in your graduate program. You're, you're, you're pretty young still. Yeah. Right. And so having to kind of work through that process and confront your own issues with money and everything that comes up around that. What did that, what was that process like? Well, well, it didn't, it wasn't as conscious as it is now. So I will say that <laughs> at that time it was just sweaty and terrifying, <laughs> even going from, um, grad school. So I went from, uh, I worked in the grad clinic to this Institute. So some clients came with me from one to the other. And in the mm. grad program, they could pay as little as I think five or $10. And so when they moved to the Institute, the lowest fee was 30. So even in that, it was like, wow, these people have to go from paying five or 10. If they want to keep working with me, if we want to keep working together, they have to be able to pay at least 30. So even saying like, Ugh, we're doing this move. What does it mean for you? Like having those conversations at that time, all, all I can say at that time was it was just terrifying. Yeah. I felt so bad. Mm -hmm. And also I could blame the institution because it wasn't me that made <laughs> those fees 30. So I was still even noticing like, oh, here's a third party mediator. So mm -hmm. it's taken years to start understanding um, the symbolism of money. Mm -hmm. um, so at that time, I, I didn't I didn't have the language that I do now. And it was mostly about what it felt like, what it brought up, even like a dizzying dissociation, like all of the ways money was able to be thought about or not. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why in this program I have now, you know, for marketing purposes, I have to talk about, you're going to make more money on the other side and you mm -hmm. absolutely will. Mm -hmm. But really it's what are the feelings? What are the stories? What is the unconscious process? And it starts with your body because with money yeah. and therapists in the room with their patients, that's where it starts in the body. And so really going yeah. from the body to the, uh, um, emotional space, to the, to the thinking capacity to be able to actually have the business practices that work. Yeah. So, okay, so you've you've done these these programs now and and you've graduated from this from this graduate work and now you're like, "All right, I'm going to I'm going to approach private practice." Did you move right into private practice or how did this how did you make that jump? Yeah, I moved uh from that post master's program and then I still was not licensed so I moved on yep. to work underneath a supervisor mm -hmm. um, and here it was again <laughs> oh my gosh um even then uh this supervisor who I really respected she was at the institute and uh, I I couldn't even imagine that I would have been able to work with her but that we ended up working she'd not had a, a private practice intern before mm -hmm. uh, she was an analyst 
a uh, um, doctor, like actually a psychiatrist. So a psychiatrist, so a medical doctor, and then you mm. add on however many 10 years of analytic training on top of that. Wow. So very seasoned. And I knew that her, I don't know what all her fees were, but I feel like I'm pretty clear her fees were around 150 per session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so the most I can have my fees be is 140. So even then, here it was again, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't possibly set my fees more than this person who's been in the field forever. And I, I knew that uh, she could be charging more, and I wished she would charge more. Right. And money was such an uncomfortable topic between the two of us. Uh, clinically with my patients. So it was one more example of like, oh, this is something that can't really be talked about and it feels clumsy. And I still love her to this day. And the money was awkward as, as can, I'm a swargan. Yeah, I mean, you can. You can. <laughs> the money was awkward as can be. I'll just say that. Um, and so again, I'm, I'm thinking even in that space, like this is so uncomfortable and I can't address it with the, uh, this person who I really wish I could address it with. And this is the person who's, uh, job is it is to help me clinically but i could see her own money stuff was making mm. it hard and so again man where i wish there were mentors and i know that she didn't have a model i'm sure so it's not i don't blame her but like where are the models to yes. help us think about this stuff especially as women especially yes. as minorities mm-hmm. uh, you know i think about um, money is a symbol for desire and it's a symbol for taking up space in the world with yes. your desire mm-hmm. and so when it comes to be a, a woman who's told that um, your value is tied up in making your desire secondary, it becomes very complicated to start saying, here's what I not only need, we're allowed to say, okay, here's what I need because I got to be able to afford my groceries, but to say, here's what I desire, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pushback for that. And so Mm -hmm. I I felt all of that coming up in this uh, supervisory relationship. And so I thought, I just got to get through this and then I'll really be able to charge what I want. Right, right. And don't you think, I mean, I think all these threads connect, like this notion of person as therapist and being able to show up as your authentic self requires you to decide that you're going to take up space, right? The same as this, this piece of saying, I'm going to be upfront and authentic about my money. And I'm going to, to say, this is what I am going to be making and, and not have shame around it. And and that requires you to be able to take up space. And I think there's that inherent message again that we referenced earlier that's just like you know we aren't what we aren't space takers we're 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 like meant to be small and I I think that's changing I think that that's changing in the field right now but generally you know we're we're the blank slates we we don't require space we take up minimal space that's right yeah and I think even where I think even where um and you know this could be particular to the therapists I attract of course um, even when they're taking up space, quote unquote, as a therapist, they're really they're doing it in a way that's still saying, I'm taking up space on your behalf. So it's not about me. Don't right. look at me. <laughs> um, I'm taking up space for you. So then that, that gives me a, a, a permission to take up space. That's right. But, but raising your fee or saying, here's the money I want, that actually requires therapists to take up space and, and they just don't know how to do it. That's right. Uh, fumbly, overwhelming, un- uncomfortable, and, a, and, and it's not what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I don't know if even, even now, even as therapists are taking up space, maybe as brands or bidding out in the world and social media, when it comes to having the client come into their room, there's still so much um, um, making themselves quiet and small or, or taking up space on behalf of another, mm-hmm. which is still a form of putting oneself second or That's third right. or fourth. That's right. That, yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you you had these experiences that kind of shaped 
um, your the way that you viewed money and you were like, oh, money's money's this weird area and it's not being talked yeah. about. Were those the things that um, kind of had you hone in on money as a focus of your work? Was was there anything else that contributed to that? Or when you stepped out of those things, were you like, okay, I need to bring this to the forefront because clearly somebody needs to, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think I knew I wanted to have a business outside of my therapy practice because I, I knew I wanted to scale. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that happened is, like I said, I, I took folks from my grad program and then they went to the internship with me and then some went to the supervisory relationship with me and then to my private practice. So I had people for years before I even opened my own private practice. And so I did have folks whose fees were lower and yeah. I felt like, oh man, this is, this is the bind we get in where I didn't have help thinking about these things up until this point, and now I'm in private practice, and I have a pretty good handful of folks who are not paying anywhere near what would be my full fee. Holy smokes, now what do I do? Mm. Um, uh, and so even thinking like, man, I don't want other therapists to be in this position. How, how, what can we do to help therapists at least be conscious about the choices they're making at each step of the way? When I, so for me, my solution was, all right, I'm going to keep my private practice, raise my fees for new folks, slowly raise my fees for ongoing clients and start another business on the side. (laughs) I I was like, I'm going to give back in my practice, which means I need more income. Mm -hmm. Initially, I thought I would do therapist marketing. I've always been curious about business and marketing, Hmm. but the the therapists, people in my audience, the thing that people wanted me to keep talking about was money. And no matter what marketing I saw people do, it doesn't matter if you're marketing really well, if your fees are $80 per session, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to grow your business. And so I I kept getting the feedback that money was, was what therapists actually needed to be working on. What there, there were no programs for therapists around money specifically. Mm. So you were like, I'll just make one. That's exactly right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and create a whole new thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. It took some time and I did wind in and out of like marketing and masterminds, all of which were really fun. But this money thing at the base of it gave me a chance to help therapists make money. I want therapists to make money. I want therapists to be paid. And the, the way it opened up the, I don't know what the, there's that saying Freudian saying something is the dreams are the Royal road to the unconscious. And for Mm -hmm. me, I'm like money. Mm. money is the royal road to the unconscious. So it gave me a chance to help therapists make money while continuing to do very in-depth work that I love doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really cool. It just kind of unfolded. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, okay. So I want to jump to this because I think this is kind of where we are. But so... what would you say is the why, right? This theme keeps showing up. You're Mm. seeing it. It's difficult. It's coming up in clinical ways or not because you can't talk about it because you're, you're seeing that maybe your supervisor doesn't quite have a handle on that either. And it's, it's just kind of this hole that you're noticing. So why do you think it's so important for clinicians and for other helping professionals to get a handle on their money mindset and to, uh, you know, like I like to talk about like finding financial freedom, like creating that for themselves. Why, why is that so important? This is, I'm going to answer this in a way that this is changing all the time. I think the way I answer this is changing all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to take it in two directions. The first is simply because I want therapists to be able to experience financial safety. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think the 
therapists, so many therapists, especially women, especially minorities, especially people who come from working class backgrounds, are constantly bending over backwards to serve other people, and they've gotten the message that they're not, they, they as humans, are not valuable in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. And they do so much work advocating for others. Right. And I'm like, I want to advocate for, for you. I want you to be able to have a sense of financial safety. Can we just start there? Mm-hmm. Uh, so my why in that one, in that one area is um, uh, I want therapists to be able to be, have some sense of peace and that they can be able to afford the life that will help them continue to grow. Yes. On a, on a second fold is I am... This is why I'm going to get riled as fuck. <laughs> this political situation, like what, 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 what's happening in America? And this is, uh, you know, in some ways, I, I'm going to talk very openly about Trump. Um, he's a representation of something that's been happening for a long, long time, been building up for a long, long time behind the scenes. Mm. I, I, am, um, I want things to be different on a larger sociopolitical level. And I think we need people who are thoughtful, who understand the unconscious, who are emotionally intelligent, uh, empathic. uh, uh, Our society, climate change, uh, race, these are big issues that are not going to change with the people who are currently in power. That's right. And I'm like, if therapists have money and time, they're going to go out there and make a big impact. Fucking get, I get real frustrated with therapists who are on Facebook all day long spinning. It's so terrible. 2020, I need ice cream. I'm like, get your shit together. Build a practice that takes care of you financially, that frees up your time, and then stop complaining and go make some fucking change. Go ahead. So for me, it's a big, mm. big <laughs> political statement, I think, if therapists have money and time. Things are going to be different. Yes. Oh, my God. All right. Show's <laughs> over. That's it. That's, that's Done. <laughs> it's all that's we got it. to say. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, if the helpers have the resources, yes. Yes. you know, things are possible. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're not now. That's so that's right. right. That's so right. I love it. Get the resources into the right hands. Money's not going anywhere, so we might as well have it on our side so we can use it. And here's my thing. When I've talked about this here and there, uh, Republicans, and I'm I'm clearly liberal, but I'm not very satisfied with the Democratic Party. So I'm thinking, (laughs) like, the Republicans have been so strategic with, you have all these older white men who understand that their power is declining, So for decades, behind the scenes, they've been setting up a political structure that's going to ensure they're in power for generations to come. Meanwhile, Democrats are like responding to every new terrible thing that's happening without any strategy or consistency or discipline. Mm -hmm. And I, Dana, I didn't think I was going to be talking about this. (laughs) Sorry. Here we go. Um, I think that comes from uh, people who have been impoverished for generations. minorities especially black folks who have been disenfranchised politically for generations we have not had the resources financially or the emotional resources or the structural resources to understand how to play a long game we haven't had the opportunity to play a long game Mm -hmm. meanwhile these folks white folks with generations of wealth have had the education and the money and the uh, support socially to learn how to play a long game Mm -hmm. and so really thinking how do we help therapists start playing a really long game this is not a the political situation the situation with race in america is not going to be done in one year 
or six months or four years. It's a long game. So part of what I do in my program, secretly surprise folks, I'm <laughs> working with therapists to start paying attention to what is the long game mm. and how do I start thinking in terms of 50 years as opposed to I want to get a client this week. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. I love that you touched on that. I think that's so important. And yes, we're seeing, you see that politically? Um, I mean, we've already got, I, I don't need to go into this either, but we've got, <laughs> I mean, you know, RBG just passed, yeah. just passed, you know, may she rest in peace. And yes. uh, we've already got, you know, discussion of who's going to get, um, yeah. who's going to get nominated next. So it's, they're like right on it. <laughs> that's right. And here's the thing, here's the thing is, uh, um, if if any any political situation, if any people, if we're all resting on RBG living, mm-hmm. or right. Biden, let's say, if we want Biden, Biden getting an office, or Trump, get, you know, whatever. If we're putting pinning all our hopes on one of these three events happening, we're in trouble. Yep. So, folks, we got to think bigger. Stop yep. being reactive. So, this is a lot of what's underneath uh, the work I do. Beautiful. So, just to ask about that work. So, you, we've talked about a little bit. This is your program, Lean In, Make Bank. Yeah. So how do you support helpers there in, in creating a healthy money mindset? What, what are some of the things that you do? What does that look like? Yeah, it's a, we have a very particular framework that goes through establishing foundational uh, lessons around allowing therapists to start thinking in terms of the long game. Mm-hmm. So we address uh, the people you're around how to actually build up a, a community that's going to get you where you want to go to the next level. There are so many there's so much envy, uh, fear, anxiety, blame, and shame in the therapist profession for all these reasons we've spoken about. So really helping therapists identify who are the people they need to be around. And also in what ways we do a lot of looking in the mirror. In what ways are therapists um, reinforcing unconsciously these scarcity beliefs or shame and blame or envy Let's look in the mirror, folks, and start with us. So we really work on establishing what does it mean to be part of a successful, powerful community. Mm. We then go into the unconscious stories. So in what ways are we continuing to sabotage ourselves and in so doing, sabotaging our clients' growth because there are these stories we have that are either unknown or unaddressed, and usually, of course, both. Right. Uh, We then go into actionable strategies. So mm-hmm. one of the things I'm very into psychoanalytic theory, which is interesting. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not the, I don't look like your typical psychoanalytic thinker by any means. Um, <laughs> and I, I was often frustrated with all the mental masturbation that was going on in the psychoanalytic world. Like, mm. Oh, let's think in theory, theory, theory. And I'm like, where is the fucking action? <laughs> and there's so much room for action in the consultation room, in the therapy room. There's a lot of room for um, leaning in, and this is where the name comes from, really leaning into um, what's happening between us right here in the room. And there's nowhere that that's more clear than around fees. And so mm-hmm. we give, we also go into what are the clear strategies? What's happening clinically? What are the inter- interpretations or the interventions that can be made around fees? So it's not like, I'm going to raise my fees, moving on, take it or leave it. But really like what's happening clinically here and helping right. therapists understand and be able to work both in terms of taking care of their businesses, but also clinically with the fee. And then and finally, we work on this idea. I really am very explicit about this idea of the long game. And this program used to be five weeks, like a get in, boot camp style, sprint it out. And only just this year, I expanded it to a year long. So people have a lot of time 
to actually get deep into this work. We have um, at least two coaches who are grads who work in the program as well. We have a community manager. So really as a whole team of folks who are helping facilitate this transition with therapists. That's so great. That's so great. Oh man, I'm hoping it keeps expanding because I think everybody just needs to be paying attention to this. Yes, absolutely. That's fantastic. Okay, so talking a little bit about you, right? So a big, a big piece of <laughs> on this podcast is people trying, you know, people trying to create a life for themselves that where they're actualizing something that that's really important to them, which which can be really difficult for helpers to do, right? So, yeah, you yeah. know, for you, you know, maybe in the helping people in the money sphere, but all these different things, right, are creative outlets and how we take care of ourselves physically and emotionally yeah. that goes beyond just taking a bubble bath at the end of the day, yes. like apparently yeah. is supposed to solve all of our problems. <laughs> um, so how do you as an individual um, handle things like um, overwhelm or just overwork or trying to maintain what looks like balance for you um, so that you can have a lifestyle that feels authentic and thriving? Like what can, do you do that? How do you manage that? What does that look like for you? I, I absolutely uh, do that. I'm very intentional with my time mm-hmm. and my life. Uh, I did not want to build a business where I'm going to be stressed out and overwhelmed. Yep. Um, and I see that. So I, I, I and I definitely, uh, when I first started out was just spending like all this time consumed with my business. And I, I don't even know what was happening, just more like spinning. And I think that comes from the back to the working class family where your time is tied to your money. It's a one-to-one. Yeah. And I really wanted to work on um, a time, man. I think so. Uh, we're not going to go in. We're not going to go too deep into this, Dana. But <laughs> I realized when working with money, we're also talking about mortality. And there's a lot with uh, keeping our fees low. That's a an attempt to ward off the reality of death. Mm-hmm. And so even doing this work with money has gotten me much more clear about the importance of my time, my relationships. Uh, I spend a lot of time with my son. I've mm. made my, my, he's actually just gotten into daycare as of like three weeks ago for the sake of, I, I'm like, he needs to be around other kids during these COVID times. He can't just be with me and his dad all the time. So let's give him around other kids. So um, I spend a lot of time with my son, very, very intentional about parenting. Mm. And then I recently started working with a personal trainer again. So I do a lot of things. Like I have a personal trainer that I work with. Um, I take violin lessons. Oh I, it's very important to me that I, I have a well-balanced life um, yeah. where I, 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 I want to put my money where my mouth is. And so if I'm yeah. working all the time and stressed out and overwhelmed, there's nothing I can teach to my students. So uh, back to integrity. Yep. It's very important in terms of me being a therapist and working with other therapists. Like I have to live the life that I'm talking about them living or what do I have? There's nothing I have to say. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so funny. I mean, isn't that just what comes up all the time is that you have, um, you know, helpers that are working with people on getting their life in balance and getting their stress levels down so they don't have high blood pressure and, you know, working less and spending more time on these quality relationships. And then those helpers go home and are just completely emotionally exhausted because they've just seen 12 people in a row and haven't peed in eight hours and haven't (laughs) eaten for, you know, 10 hours. And like, and it's just such an interesting and, and, you know, I think that no shame to that. I mean, I lived that at one point. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of us have or do, but it's just such an interesting juxtaposition of what we're trying to help other people do and what we allow for ourselves. And I got to say, 
this may may be controversial, maybe not, I don't know, but I do not believe therapists can help their clients get out of that bind, not truly mm. and not in a lasting way if we're not living that way ourselves. There's mm. something on the other side of doing it that allows us to, like the shift that occurs when you're actually able to put into action something that you have before had an intellectual understanding of that changes everything. It's a paradigm shift. Okay, so let me set this scene for you. I was 35 years old, working at a residential program 50 plus hours a week, making less than $50,000 a year on public service loan forgiveness with nine years to go, two graduate degrees to pay for that totaled $101,000. I watched my interest accrue as I made minimum payments until my balance hit $121,000. I felt terrified, anxious, unwell, and I was sure that I couldn't stick it out to have my loans forgiven without having a mental breakdown. Do you relate to this story at all? Then I have a program for you. So I have a four week group intensive program rolling out in January, 2021 that will identify your stuck points and create an individualized plan for you to get out of student debt so you can be financially free. You'll work with me and a small group of like-minded individuals to follow the process that I did to pay off all my debts in a few years while increasing my income and cultivating a more satisfying career and lifestyle. Do you wanna learn more? Visit my website at danabelletier.com and check out the Help Yourself Group Intensive. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. We got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. <sighs> All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non-judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitist, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth. Wow, yeah, I'll no, also say I agree. That, that, oh, in terms of my uh, balanced lifestyle, I also forgot to say I go to th- therapy twice a week. I pay premium fees, $300 per session to an analyst mm-hmm. every week, two times a week. And so, uh, um, uh, so that's 600 a week. Um, I put my money where my mouth is in terms of what does it take to really do this work in a deep way? If I'm not getting it, how am I going to provide it? That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Violin lessons too. That's right. <laughs> so strange because it's it's hard i was like what's the hard i want to play piano but i'm not going to get a piano in my house what's the next thing that's what's very difficult that's the thing i want to learn so Mm -hmm. violin man that that is a difficult instrument Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i believe you (laughs) so if we've got people that are listening to this and they're hearing this from you and they're like okay she's a parent and she's got you know hobbies that she's interested and she takes time on her body and on her emotional well-being like tiffany how do you do that how are you put what's your secret how are you pulling that off what would you tell those people oh great question i i I, there was a lot of time actually and it's also limited so um we're not going to live forever. So get clear on what it is you want to be doing with your time. And I, I actually think a lot of, and this is me, so I'm speaking, I, I'll speak for myself now. Mm-hmm. Um, my being busy all the time was an expression of my internal anxiety and my internal world. And so it wasn't that I didn't have time. It was that I didn't, I couldn't tolerate having space because then I had to start looking at some things that were intolerable. Mm. It was, this was an unconscious process. So as much as I would love to give a quick tip or two, like here's what you do. The reality yeah. is um, if you're busy all the time, there is some unconscious shit 
that is going on in order to keep you busy so that you don't have to look over there at yes. that thing that you don't want to look at or that's intolerable to look at. So for me, um, I, I almost did go into saying like, here's how you do it, X, Y, Z. And if people <laughs> want that, fine, I can give it to them. But the reality <laughs> is it's doing the work on your unconscious mind that allows you to free up and, and become aware of um, how much time we really do have and how we can make choices about what we're doing with that time. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Good answer. Good answer. I like that. And I think that's right just, too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a lot of the work I do in my uh, practice uh, with clients is around that very thing. I see a lot of high achievers. Yeah. What, well, you know, I know we're, we're interviewing the interviewer, but I'm curious, <laughs> what do you notice with this idea of how we keep ourselves busy? Um, I mean, typically it, it seems to be, there's a lot of stuff around, um, feeling in control again, feeling valued around the things that we're able to produce and attaching, huh, um, yeah. the way we feel ourselves about ourselves to that. And so if, if we're able to come out of each day with a certain amount of production, then we feel like it was okay for us to be here for that day. Oh, but yeah. you know, but, but there's, I mean, if there are days where if someone just allows themselves to do absolutely nothing, then the feeling comes away of, well, I, w I was worth nothing that day because uh -huh. that's where my value lives. Um, so that's, that's what I notice a lot is being able to kind of take a look at inherent value and sitting with time in a way that, um, that isn't attached to, um, you know, who, who we are and what we're worth as a human. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting and I guess it goes back to well shoot I got more work to do because clearly I picked working with a physical trainer and violin those things are valuable right so I'm sure I'm even caught up in like what can I do with my time or hobbies that is valuable as opposed to and I'll, I will sit around and watch love on the spectrum on there, Netflix all day long there you go so I also relax <laughs> but really I think I, I I'm sure I'm still caught up in this trap in many ways of uh as long as I'm doing the thing of value then Okay, I've, I've served my time here today. Right. Uh, yeah, interesting right. to think about. Yeah, no, totally. Why do we think one thing is more important than the other? Yeah, yeah. So as far as like burnout or overwhelm, do you ever experience that? Do you ever have that? Or do you feel like at this point you've, you've kind of figured out how to have everything relatively manageable, even with all these things that you're doing and everything you've created? Yeah, very, my, my time is very manageable, managed, manageable. I don't quite know how to put that. Uh, I have certainly in the past experienced tons of burnout, tons of overwhelm, mm -hmm. um, me even going through agency jobs, grad school, all of that. Now I, I have a lot of space and the, the, the next level of growth for me is how, like you're talking about how to allow for space not fill it up with meetings or fun things or, you know, uh, uh, important business things, mm -hmm. but actually like, uh, have space to sit and think or, yeah. uh, uh, you know, maybe do a workout in the middle of the day just because I can mm -hmm. what to do when I have time. And so that has been my, maybe it is it's definitely not to the point of overwhelm, but a, a low, a low grade anxiety with, is it okay that I am making money and enjoying my life <laughs> And, and doing things that are uh, of uh, value to me that right. are not. So there was a, a couple of years ago when I was pregnant, actually, um, I was working in my private practice and I took a walk and I walked past a golf course that I had never seen come upon in my therapy office neighborhood. And there were all these 100 percent of them were dudes. Most of them were white dudes 
golfing in the middle of the day and I felt anxious that I was even taking a walk like am I allowed to take a walk in the middle of the day <laughs> and it blew my mind I'm like here are these guys with their you know very expensive cars all up in this parking lot who are golfing in the middle of the day and yeah. that was very eye-opening to me in terms of holy shit like what are we women doing yeah. what are we doing and so that was a big <laughs> shift in terms of like I'm not playing that game anymore I'm not playing this game anymore That's so it's right. again back to being intentional about I'm gonna relax in the day if I want to or simply read a book or do what I want and then I have to contend with the low-grade anxiety. Mm. And that's where I go to my two times a, a week psychoanalysis to help me understand yeah. what's, what's going on there. Excellent. That's a good place to do it. So Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> yeah, right. the audacity of just taking up space right. in the middle of the day on a golf course. Yes. Wow. <laughs> it was just uh, mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Just one of the first things I did when I started in private practice was I started giving myself the permission to take a nap every day. Nice. Uh, and it was like so liberating just to be like, this is the thing I can do. And I, I don't yeah. need to feel bad about it or anything. It's just a thing I'm going to do. And maybe it's 10 minutes and maybe it's an hour. And, you know, that's my little there's a little luxury and it's fine. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you do that. Yes, I love that I do that also. <laughs> um, OK, so we're in this field Hardly anybody is talking about money. I know this because when I went to deal with my own money stuff several years ago, I couldn't find anybody. Wow. Like yeah. Tiffany, I I was like, you know, listening to Dave. I don't know if you know who Dave Ramsey yeah, even is. Yeah. Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman. Yes. Like wherever I could find a person that was going to yes. give me some advice, no matter how different yeah. our views were on everything else. Yes. Um, <laughs> because there's just no resources. There just yeah. wasn't anything there. So how do we, why aren't we talking about money and how do we get people in our field talking about it? How interesting. So I have sense probably because I'm in the field, um, I'm seeing a lot more women and not therapists. So to, to be fair, to your point, not therapists, but a lot of women generally podcasts talking about money mm. and financial freedom and financial awareness and the history of that. But in terms of our field specifically, um, especially when we're thinking clinically, there have been, there's now financial psychology. So there are therapists who are, uh, um, d learning how to be financial psychologists to their clients. But in terms of coming back to ourselves as practitioners and within the larger culture, uh, I think that's a great question. I mean, I'm talking about it, so it's being spoken about in terms of the clinical work and, and our personal development. And I think there's going to continue, continue to be, it's going to continue to be a hump. And I'm mm -hmm. hoping that we're getting, um, we're making headway in terms of having this be a larger conversation. But again, if we think about the, uh, how most therapists were the helpers in their family. So yeah. their value was tied up in being a helper to ask for money on top of that. That's a problem mm -hmm. because the, your, your, your love comes from being a helper. So to get paid for it, then what, then what value do you have? Right. Right. Holy mackerel. That's a problem. Right. And then in our profession, just like you said, don't enter this field. If you plan to make any money, we're here to help people. So this binary is very much reinforced in our professional culture and then, of course, for the populations I work with, women and, and minorities. And, and I have always a couple of men who take my program, too. And they're usually people who grew up working class. Mm -hmm. So also a similar experience of your value is tied to being a helper and money is something that we shouldn't even be looking at. So we have a, a trifecta of um, uh, different places, areas telling us we can't be talking about this. We shouldn't be talking about this. And we really are very good at shaming 
each other and that's keeping right. us in our place around this. That's and right. And so it is going to take a it is going to take a groundswell of us saying no, we're not buying into this shit anymore and speaking openly about it, which is why I have my podcast, which is why I'm coming to talk to you. It's mm-hmm. going to take us speaking openly about our desire for money and and saying no more to this binary. Uh, saying you know calling bullshit on this binary and i think it will inevitably start turning the tide oh i hope so (laughs) yeah i hope i love i love that i hope it does i hope it does i mean that's what that's what i'm trying to do too you know is start putting start putting that message out there because i just think it's it's so necessary who are some of the the women or people that you were listening to i know you mentioned and and they aren't necessarily in the helping spheres but just I know you'd mentioned to me, uh, Rachel Rogers. Yes. Rachel Rogers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love, so she's someone I've been following recently. I love Rachel Rogers. Very empowered, very powerful black woman. I think she's biracial, uh, woman who talks about her program is we should all be millionaires. So she's really trying to help women, uh, own the desire to take up financial space. So she's someone I follow. And then in terms of even for a while, I was really excited about this financial, um, what is it? Not financial freedom. What's the movement of all the folks who are trying to be financially? Um, I can't believe I'm forgetting this term. But one of the podcasters who talks in that space, her name is Paula Pant. And she talks okay. a lot about, you know her? No. Paula Pant. Um, talks a lot about uh, money, financial management, owning real estate. So really thinking like, what can you do to set yourself up so you're not reliant on your hours for income? And yeah. then you can still use your hours to do whatever you want. But how do you disentangle those two? So she's someone who I've been excited about. Okay. Her money is a, um, a woman who talks a lot about retirement, financial freedom. Her name is Jean Chatsky. Her money is the podcast. Also has been really pivotal uh, as I was going on my money journey initially. Awesome. Okay, we're just writing these down. Yes, write them down. <laughs> write them down, folks. Check out these podcasts. That's very important. Um, okay, so we have people ostensibly listening to this and people are wanting to maybe they're inspired by what you're talking about and they're like all right I'm gonna get a handle on on my money and I'm in the helping professions and I'm gonna figure out how to start taking financial care of myself yeah um but I'm not sure where to start what would be the best piece of advice that you could offer to those helping professionals that that want to get moving on this and want to start bettering their situation but don't know where to get started I love this. So I have a fee calculator that I, I created and then had someone yes, snazz you do. it up for me. Do you know about that? <laughs> well, sure. I have done the fee calculator and I have sent the fee calculator to like three different um, clients at different points because I yes. work with so many helpers. So like, Good. yes, familiar. <laughs> that is where people start. And the thing I love about it is it removes all of our, well, therapists have to let themselves dream big. And I do hear from therapists who struggle with the desire part of the calculator, but really it's going to be, it's going to give you, here's exactly what your fee needs to be based on these set of questions. I'm going to ask you, here's what your fee is based on the reality of your financial situation and your financial desires and your time desires. And the thing, the, why I, the reason I tell therapists to start there, uh, and you can go to HeyTiffany.com and you'll see a prompt to, to get that fee calculator. The reason I tell people to start there is because the numbers don't lie. And so you're yeah. going to see that number and you're going to have some feelings about it, but it's going to start <laughs> you on the journey of, oh, okay, okay. Here's a clear number where I need to be headed. And I love the clarity of that. 
Yeah. Oh my God. That calculator will knock you over. <laughs> no, you're going to look Do you remember your fee? Did you look Ooh. at it or having your clients remember what, what their fee came out to? Oh my God. Well, mine was, <laughs> mine was over 250. Yeah. <laughs> great. Great. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It was over 250. And it's interesting because I'm kind of, I'm starting a second income stream and different things. Yes. So I kind of have to figure out what's what. Um, but it's certainly informed and, and pointed me in a specific direction. Um, so it's a very helpful tool. Yes. Excellent. If, I'm so if glad to hear it. It doesn't give you a heart attack. Um, and it can, and it can give, I, I'm, I'm big on making room for the feelings because I think there's so much information in the feelings. So even if it does give you a heart attack, as long as you can crawl your way to the computer and say, Tiffany, what the fuck? Then we can help you out. We can help you with the next steps. It's so good. Yes, everyone, everyone do the calculator. Absolutely. So, okay, so if people want to find you, we know, so heytiffany.com is your website. That's where they can find this calculator, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where else should people be looking for you and your work? Uh, you can go to, uh, on Facebook, I do a lot of Facebook lives over there where I'm talking about this stuff all day long. You can go to uh, Facebook forward slash level up with Tiffany or search heytiffany.com. And I also have a podcast that where I interview mm-hmm. therapists who have made this journey. It's called The Money Sessions. I love it. Every time I listen to those podcasts, I'm like, these people are inspired. They're so inspirational. So if you actually want to hear about therapists who have gotten off insurance panels or have raised their fee exponentially, uh, or therapists who are in the midst of the struggle as they're being interviewed, you got to check out that podcast and tell your friends. Yeah, no. And I'm going to personally recommend the money sessions that that podcast absolutely helped me make the switch from group practice to private practice in a way that was like confident. And it's such a good podcast. So useful. Great. Um, Yeah. So, well, that's that's all I've got. Anything else you want? I mean, you've kind of imparted us with all sorts of amazing thoughts and advice. (laughs) I got nothing. I got my only last bit is find the people who inspire you, who are doing what mm. you want to do and, and just take in everything they have to say, whether you do a paid program or whether you listen to all the free stuff, surround yourself with folks who are going to help you get to where you want to go. That's what I would say. Yeah. No, that's great. I agree. That's a good piece of advice. Well, thank you, Dana. Thank you. Thank you for doing this with me. I'm so appreciated you being on. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening today. If you want more from Tiffany, you can find her Fun With Fees calculator, which you should absolutely do, on her website, heytiffany.com. You can find her on Facebook, uh, Facebook forward slash level up with Tiffany and her podcast, The Money Session. So great. Definitely check that out. For more from me, you can go to danabelletier.com. You're going to find my blog there um, as well as some more information about the Help Yourself Group Intensive, which I'd love to have you be a part of. Um, you can check me out on Instagram. It's Help for the Helpers podcast. And you can go to the Help for the Helpers Facebook page join us there. Thanks a lot. See you next week. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Car Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. 
My name is Leo Donald. And I'm Justin Lohr. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. <laughs>